I'm actually joined with John Thorne. We're going to talk about the 30 years of writing for Twin Peaks. But before we get into that, I'll end the mic over so he can introduce himself further. Uh, thanks. Yeah, well, um, I'm John, uh, John Thorne. I've been involved with Twin Peaks writing for years and years and years. And I'm happy to talk about, you know, all of that with you today. It came across my mind recently that, you know, this is a, a lot of landmarks for you this year. It's 30 years of wrapped in plastic, uh, five years for Blue Rose. You have Omnis Woosh that's, uh, that's been released a few months ago. And I realized that it would be like the perfect way to like nearly end the year with uh, being able to talk all of this. So I guess to start off, though, is that before you uh, started Wrapped in Plastic, did you have any writing about Lynch before 1990 that you had? Uh, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I guess I'd done writing for myself. You know, I'd done some critical writing, book reviews, and things like that. But uh, to be honest with you, uh, I wasn't really familiar with Lynch's work other than Dune before 1990. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it wasn't until Twin Peaks that uh, I got got started. It was even it was after Twin Peaks. You know, it was a couple of years after that I really started writing about it. Before you started writing about between that period of 1990 and the, the release of the first issue, were there any other films like, uh, you know, from Lynch's filmography that would have compelled you to write on top of with Twin Peaks? Well, again, you know, uh, I had seen Dune and I was not at the time I was not a fan of Dune only because uh, I was such a fan of the book and the movie took some liberties. And so I didn't really see the movie as a Lynch work. I was looking at it as an adaptation Subsequently, of course, I look at it now as a Lynch work, and I really love the film. Uh, and so I, I hadn't seen anything else uh, of Lynch's. I guess maybe parts of The Elephant Man, but really, other than Dune, I mean, I knew of Lynch and I knew of his work and his films, but I had, I was not schooled on David Lynch until after Twin Peaks. That's uh, that's when uh, I obviously went back and tried to see everything and think about it differently. So yeah, Twin Peaks was the sort of the crucial moment. To move on to uh, the early days of Wrapped in Plastic, beyond the obvious of how much Twin Peaks just changed TV when it was first released, what was it that moved you to uh, start the magazine? Well, I mean, it was the show itself was so compelling and so different and so challenging and I think so important that I, you know, even before the magazine had come out, I was engaging with it i was writing you know silly i'm making charts about the character relationships and i was making trivia uh, lists and questions about it and i was trying my best uh with what limited resources i had at that time which was 1990 to somehow express myself my interest in twin peaks and it was uh, it was because of that. It, it really was because I had done that and that stuff had gotten distributed locally through the, the comic book stores. I was giving it out for free to people. Craig Miller came across some of the stuff I had done and he wanted to, he had some experience making, uh, you know, publishing, self-publishing comic books and magazines and he wanted to do a Twin Peaks magazine too. He was also quite compelled to 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 talk about Twin Peaks. So, we got together, we found each other, and then 
took a little while, but um, you know, we managed to get wrapped in plastic off the ground, and and then it stayed off the ground for quite some time after that. One of the things that I think one of the reasons why I think it stands out for all these years is that uh, you both were insistent on it not being a fanzine, but like a full blown magazine. Uh, were there any concerns, whether it was like deadlines or uh, finances, that were kind of barriers to make sure that you stood apart from the fanzines of the time? Well, that's a good question. Um, Craig wanted to make it kind of an official Twin Peaks magazine, whatever that meant. He wanted to use Twin Peaks in the, in the title somehow, but there were licensing rights that we would have had to pay. We would have had to pay to do that, and at the time, it was just prohibitive. And so we... You know, we decided, well, let's find a way to you know, certainly make it clear that this was a magazine about Twin Peaks. But once we knew we were going to do that, we went the self-publishing route. We were distributed through comic book stores initially. And the way it was done then was great because you could just put out a solicitation and say, this is what we're going to publish. And you would get orders in advance. And then... I guess it's kind of like Kickstarter now in a way. Uh, you knew how many you needed to publish and you knew you know, how many you needed to kind of put together. And so we made sure we did it smartly at the beginning and not overpublished and not, you know, we weren't saddled with a lot of back issues. So, you know, we had that yeah, sort of financial approach in mind. But also, I mean, very much Craig and I wanted it to be as professional as we could make it. It didn't look that way to begin with. The first issue is is not glossy and it's it's not really the cover is not in color. But we felt the writing was at the time anyway, the writing was strong enough to sustain it. And as it as the years went along and actually the months went along, we we improved the look of that. And we I felt uh, and Craig and I both felt that it was a magazine. It was glossy. I mean, just in terms of the physicality of it, 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 it was it was glossy. It was slick. It was well produced. And then I think the writing content, which was not always just Craig and me, uh, we had people contributing to us, professional writers, professional uh, scholars writing for us. I think the content certainly rose to the level of being a professional magazine. I, I think I think other people felt that way too. I think one of the other things that helps uh, build off from that is that uh, your first interview, at least the first I can think of, is uh, Captain Coulson, which I believe was to gear up for when it was going to premiere on Bravo. Was there anything, to, like, in terms of being able to interview a celebrity for the first time, was there any nerves you had of, like, preparing for it or being there, like, whether it was in phone or in person? And also, just as the years went on, did you did you have that feeling with each actor and actress, or was that just something you kind of like grew to as the time progressed? Well, for sure, we were. Catherine Coulson was the first uh, Twin Peaks actor that we, and to somebody who was associated with the show, because we we interviewed more than just the actors, but um, she was the first. And yes, I mean, there's no doubt uh, we were nervous. I I can't really remember it now, as it was 30 years ago. But I I'm sure I was uh, on edge. You wanted to. You know, we wanted to do this right. But she, of course, uh, and we ended up interviewing her like five times and she became a really good friend of the magazine. She was she was um, so generous to us over the years. Uh, she was such a nice person that as soon as you started talking to her, you relaxed. And it was a very good conversation and <clears throat> very genuine and, and a nice way to, to visit with her, actually. Yes, there were certainly times that as we went along, we interviewed a lot of people over the years. And as we went along, it became something that we felt confident about and how we were going to do it. There were a few times we interviewed people in person uh, or met people. We met Mark Frost in person. We interviewed Harley Payton in person. Those were, 
you know, we wanted to be on our, our best behavior and best professional uh, selves. So those were a little nerve wracking, but clearly the most nervous I've ever been was when we interviewed David Lynch for the first time. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I slept the night before and it, we ended up interviewing him late in, in the production of the magazine. We'd already been doing it for years and years. And so uh, we kind of, we kind of always thought if this ever happened, we knew what we were going to do. And I think we, we did it pretty well. And he was very kind to us too. And in fact, he ended that interview by saying, thanks, that was a great conversation and we'll do it again. And so we felt, wow, if we got Lynch, you know, happy enough to talk to us again, we did all right. But I was, uh, <laughs> was uh, on pins and needles during, during that and before that. That does make me think is that along with your interviewing and writing, did you feel it progress or evolve in a certain way while writing for Wrapped in Plastic? Had it been different if you just didn't do Wrapped in Plastic at all? Oh, my writing got much, much better over the years. I mean, you know, most writers will tell you the best way to get better is to keep writing. And it's true. And and, and one thing you should do is not really stop, which I have done for a little while now that the new book came out. I haven't been writing in a while. And you do get rusty. But uh, but as you write, you get better. I mean, there's no question. I, I go back and look at the, some of the stuff we wrote or I wrote in the first few issues. And I, I mean, it's uh, for me, it's unreadable. And it's it's there's a lot of naivete and there's a lot of uh, youthful enthusiasm. But there's no question in my mind that I got better. And it, it wasn't until I think we were I was like we were issue 60, I think I didn't come out to like 2000. It'd been like 10 years of writing that I felt. I wrote something that was pretty good. I was like, you know, I was proud of it. And I got some response from some professional people that I admire who who complimented it. And so I felt like, yeah, okay. And so, yeah, I think once I got to that threshold, I approached my writing differently and, and things got better as they went along. So, yeah, I think, I think that's true. That I think it's true. The more you write, the better you get. The better you realize what it is you're trying to say and how to communicate it. The last question I have for Wrapped in Plastic in particular is that I know that Wrapped in Plastic didn't focus explicitly on Twin Peaks or even Lynch's filmography during a lot of the time, but did you ever feel any particular burnout, whether it was through like a work-life balance or maybe it was just something that was like too much for like a deadline during the 75-issue run? Oh, sure. I mean, I think that's true of anything that you do. I mean, I was always enthused about Twin Peaks. And it's funny because as I wrote about it over the years, like new doorways would kind of open up and my enthusiasm would really just increase as I studied it. But there were, there were parts of the issue that, you know, I mean, it was some things that just you didn't have the same enthusiasm for it, maybe, or there was a deadline and you kind of had to you know, you had to get it done, still tried to do the best you could, but sometimes it felt like a chore. But, you know, I mean, I always felt that I was very lucky that I was able to do this and write about a you know, television show that meant so much to me, and more than a television show, really, um, the whole the whole work, the whole the whole creative realm of Twin Peaks. And I did it, you know, just to answer your other question, uh, I had young children, you know, I had my first, my daughter was born while we were doing Wrapped in Plastic, and my son was too later, and... There were times where managing all of those things, you know, having a baby and then trying to write and, and editing, get to an interview to do an interview, really tricky stuff. And I'm sure, you know, everybody out there can relate to that. It, it, it's true of anything uh, when you have a young family uh, trying to get everything to, you know, everything done that you want to do. You sacrifice a few things. But, you know, uh, again, I always felt I was really lucky. So, so it was worth doing whatever I had to do.
I feel like you can definitely see it because um, I wrote through the essential wrapped in plastic, definitely the first six issues, and then uh, sporadically throughout the rest of it. And you can definitely see everything that you were talking about in terms of just that passion that just kept on driving and ascending as the years went on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just there was a it was sort of a process of discovery. Uh, we're discovering things about ourselves as we wrote, but also about Lynch and about Mark Frost and Dale. They were producing some new work and any new work that they produced, it helped us kind of reevaluate the work that came before. And that's an interesting dynamic to get into when you're studying the work of artists who are continuing to make new work that you could see sort of their evolution and, and it you know, there's just a, there's a dynamic going on. You're changing, they're changing, your writing's changing. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, it was a really nice time to be working on all of that. Uh, it, was, it was it was really special. I know that the last issue came out in 2005, and then uh, you you went to Blue Rose for another 12ish years. I was wondering, like, uh, how much writing was done about Lynch's work, or I guess any other works in particular during this time. <laughs> I mean, I really thought I was done. I really felt that there wasn't going to be any more. I mean, when anything was going to be any more Twin Peaks, I, I started a blog and was writing a few just things for myself, things I like, comic books I like to read and television shows I like to watch and just sort of just to keep my fingers on the keyboard kind of thing. But you know, I, I, I must say I was somewhat relieved when we got, when we were done, Craig said, you know, I think we've got to finish we just we weren't it, it was we weren't making any money we never really were making any money but it was getting harder and harder to justify the cost of putting it out so there was a relief uh, i felt kind of unburdened when we were done with it i missed it after time went along but no i really wasn't i wasn't engaging with with any any of that and so you know when it, when twin peaks came back and i kind of got back into it again. I was very, very rusty. And uh, it took a while for me to kind of come back to just where I had left off, let alone, I, I think, I hope, get even better. The only Lynch-related uh, movie that came out during this time was Inland Empire. Was it different experiencing Inland Empire knowing that you didn't have to write about it or didn't have to like immediately put something out? Because that is a very complicated movie. I could only imagine it'd be like if you felt like you had to write something at a set point for it. Yeah, that, boy, that's true. I mean, I saw Inland Empire just as the last issue of Wrapped in Plastic was in the works. Or maybe we were done. I can't remember, but it was right around the time. Either we were finished or we were just about to finish. I had gone to see it. I lucked out and gotten a, 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 to attend a screening that David Lynch was presenting in Austin, Texas. And so I got to see Lynch in person. I didn't get to talk to him, but I got to see him on the stage. And I guess maybe I was a little burnt out on Lynch at that point, just because I've been in so, you know, intensely part of my life and so immersed in that. I saw Inland Empire. I came out of it kind of my head spinning. And, and I did think, thank goodness, I don't need to write about this because my initial reaction was not positive. Uh, but of course, I would have I would have had to go and see it again. I would have had to experience it more. I couldn't write about it on one viewing. We rarely did that. We rarely wrote about any of Lynch's work on one viewing. We, you know, they came out in the theater like Mulholland Drive and Straight Story and Lost Highway. We went to see it three or four times. And so we could write about it, I think, with some authority. But Inland Empire, uh, wow. I mean, it just, I was, <laughs> came out with my head spinning. But I will say, I've come back to Inland Empire over the years, and that, that film only gets better for me as time goes along. I think it's really, really brilliant, and uh, really an important film 
in terms of how we approach a Twin Peaks The Return, because um, there are some themes and some approaches I think Lynch is employing in Inland Empire that he, he brings again to The Return. A long answer to say I was relieved I did not have to write about it. Actually, I'm still relieved. I really don't have to write about it. But it is a great movie, and I would I, I do like to go back and study it. So uh, maybe someday I will. I, I don't know. It's a, that's a tough one. The next question I have, and you, you did partially answer it uh, earlier, but what was like revisiting your work when you were putting the essential wrapped in plastic together? Uh, yeah, you know... A lot of the stuff, it's interesting, a lot of the stuff that we did about Twin Peaks, we did later in the run, Wrapped in Plastic. I mean, we wrote about it early on, but we we wrote a review of, of Firewalk With Me, and, and I didn't republish that. It was it was okay. It wasn't really that good. We, I wrote essays about Firewalk With Me much, much later that I this was these are the ones I was talking about earlier that I was happy with. We did the episode guide for uh, Twin Peaks much, much later in the run, and we were doing a thing called Unseen Twin Peaks, which is where we analyzed the scripts and how they changed when they were you know we saw what was filmed, what scenes were cut, what scenes were changed, and, and those were pretty straightforward, so I didn't have to to do much. But still, uh, to answer your question, yes, I saw things in in the writing that I felt were needed to be improved and so there was a lot of editing i wish i'd done more actually i I tried to rewrite parts of it i added some stuff it's hard to even discover where where it would be because i did see when i looked went back and looked at it i was like okay some of this is a little rough luckily again as i said much of it had been produced later in the run when i think we were better at what we were doing so it wasn't too tough to kind of compile it and put it in to book form and that was actually really very fortunate and we had we written about Twin Peaks in depth at the beginning of the of wrapped in plastic. I I don't know if it would have been reprintable. I think it it would have needed to be rewritten. This one's a little less about writing, but uh, I'm thinking of how 2014 was a, a pretty tremendous year for Twin Peaks because in a short span we had the missing pieces and the announcement of season three. What was like for you seeing that, thinking of like this revival of sorts, like this revival that no one saw coming, like uh, even months before that. Well, I'll start with The Missing Pieces. When I saw the trailer for The Missing Pieces, I practically jumped out of my chair. When I saw, I think in the trailer they showed Philip Jeffries uh, in, in, in um, where, I guess, where is he? I can't remember. Uh, oh, no. Buenos Aires? Buenos Aires, yeah, I couldn't remember. And there was a couple of other scenes in The Missing Pieces trailer. Just, I mean, it's just like, wow. And I did think, I wish we were, I, you know, wish I could write about it. By that time, unfortunately, Craig had passed away. There was no wrapped in plastic. It was not coming back. And I was thrilled. I still didn't think it was going to be, that was it. I figured that's the new Twin Peaks. That's what I'm going to get, which was great. And then, um, and I've said, I, I know I've said this on podcasts and interviews before, when the tweet came out in October of 2014, I was not, I, I wasn't overexcited, put it that way. I didn't know what it was. And I've been through a lot. Uh, and I think old time fans can tell you, we'd heard a lot of times over the years that maybe something new was coming. And it never turned out to be the case. <laughs> it always turned out to be either a rumor, it wasn't true, or it was something else. And and so I was, I had my feet on the ground. I didn't really think it was a new show. I guess in retrospect, if I'd looked at it a little more closely, I probably would get a little more excited. But I thought they were going to put out like a, a video game or uh, or some new associated product or something. So when it when the news came, I think it was a Monday that I I, I didn't even I didn't, I wasn't on Twitter or anything. Somebody had to text me and say, 
it's really happening. My head was spinning at that point. I didn't know quite how to how to comprehend that there might be new Twin Peaks. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty exciting. It was it was um, you know, truly at, at the time hard to believe. I know I'd lived with it for so many years. It was it was a strange feeling that it might be coming back. I know that with uh, all this, that there was a lot to like get excited about. How did you perceive like all the uh, Twin Peaks podcasts that were uh, you know coming out around that time? Like say. Twin Peaks Unwrapped, uh, where I know Ben Durant, even by his own admission, referred to you as the godfather of Twin Peaks. Scott Ryan's had you on the Red Room podcast on more than one occasion. Did it feel different coming into it, knowing that you had like this legacy lean into it? I never thought about that at all. I, the, the, I wasn't aware. I'm mean, honestly, honestly, when I when Wrapped Plastic ended, my kids were you know now like you know eight and seven and I you know five. I don't remember how old they, but you know they were they were a handful. They weren't babies anymore. And I was devoted to whatever we were doing with the family and getting them to school and getting them to extracurricular activities. And I was not aware. I will be honest with you. I was just not aware of a lot of social media stuff. I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on Twitter. I didn't really know. I I knew. I guess I listened to like the Lost podcast that Damon Lindelof did. I mean, that's about the extent of my podcast experience. So they people reached out to me. Scott Ryan did, and Ben Durant did, and and then I you know was was quite pleased that somebody wanted to hear what I had to say. So that was fun to to get onto those podcasts, and and of course I've made great friends because of that. Scott Ryan, of course, uh, we, we work together, and and Ben and Brian at, at, at Twin Peaks Unwrapped have been so supportive over the years I, I you know and everyone you know yourself and and so many other people who devoted themselves to talking about Twin Peaks I think it's fantastic but I, I honestly I, I did not think of myself I try not to now I, I'm just a fan who was in the right place at the right time and who had a real passion for Twin Peaks and I was very lucky I, I, I was very lucky to be where I was and, and to have the things happen and so um, I always think of myself as, as that um, and I hope that I've done well by it over over the years. Honestly, I, I think you absolutely did as well. And uh, I think this does carry into what I'm about to mention next is that I love the basically origin story of how the Blue Rose came to be. Because from what I understand, Scott felt that he could not do it without you. There was a phone call of sorts where it's like a, or a, a, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seemed like he wouldn't take no for an answer. And that it kind of what led to you being the position that you are now to, to be at Blue Rose. Well, uh, you know, it's not quite that. I mean, Scott is, uh, I've said this before many times, Scott gets things done. He's a, he really does. You, you look and you see the work that he's done uh, with the books that he's put out. He, he's got a lot of energy and he's got a lot of passion and can do it. it Ivness, <laughs> whatever. And so we, we had met, uh, I, I had met Scott at a Twin Peaks festival. We had talked on the phone and he did call me one day and said, I want to do a Twin Peaks magazine. And he, he said, I'm going to do it with or without you. <laughs> but you know, I really want you to be involved. And I was hesitant, I think, only because I remember what it was like to do Wrapped in Plastic and uh, it's a commitment, but uh, but at the same time, very excited with new Twin Peaks coming along, an opportunity to write, to engage with fellow fans again. I somewhat, you know, excited about it for sure, and grateful to Scott for making me part of that. So, uh, but uh, as with Wrapped in Plastic, I give so much credit to Craig Miller, and with Blue Rose, I give uh, so much credit to Scott Ryan. And so, um, I think he would have done it without me. <laughs> I do, and it probably would have been just as good, uh, you know, maybe better. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm certainly glad I got to be involved with that too for sure 
the next part that I have. What were the biggest changes of what you did for Blue Rose, whether it's like assistant editor, writer, compared to Wrapped in Plastic? Because I imagine that doing one in the pre-internet days and then doing one now, it's got to be like a night and day difference in some cases. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. The internet is is an important factor for why Wrapped in Plastic went away. You know, when we were doing Wrapped in Plastic in the 90s, there really was no internet. There was the Usenet, you know, there was the bulletin boards and that kind of thing, alt.tv.twin-peak. <laughs> but no, no internet like we know it now. Although that certainly came to be as the years went by and in the early 2000s. And, you know, news travels fast and a magazine like Wrapped in Plastic, and a lot of magazines. I mean, I, I, I know this magazines just harder to survive in that kind of environment so the blue rose i think we knew that that was the case both scott and i and scott for sure wanted to produce something that was a physical item that wasn't you know just a website something you could hold something you could keep something that would last and i certainly feel that way too i think that there's a value to physical media, but we we went, uh, I, you know, we we were distributed, I guess, a few places, but primarily was subscription only. So that was a big difference between Wrapped in Plastic and the Blue Rose. Wrapped in Plastic was available in stores. A lot of we had subscribers, but it was available at a lot of comic book stores. It was available at Tower Records. It was available uh, at, in Borders Books. I saw it at Barnes and Noble. I mean, it was amazing how many places we got into, but that was not the case with the Blue Rose. And we we were aware of that, that distributing it like a magazine. This was not the time, you know, times had changed. So we tried to make something that thought people would want to have, you know, that would want to, you know, to collect maybe and, and read about and give something of substance. And with a magazine, unlike a website, for most websites, you can get a little more in depth, you can get a little, you can get in a little deeper to a, a topic. And so that was also something we had in mind when we were doing it. I know you said before that with Wrapped in Plastic, you were like the right fan at the right time. But how did it feel knowing that Mark Frost was doing anything he could to make sure he got to the season three premiere when that came out? Uh, well, first of all, I'm very grateful to Mark Frost for thinking of me. Yeah, it was really quite floored that that had happened. We had kind of established a relationship with, with Mark Frost over the years. We interviewed him a number of times. We promoted his his new projects, his books, his, his television series. I, I came to like Mark Frost as a person. I, you know, I don't really know him, but I, I, I did get a chance to visit with him a number of times in person. And I had seen him when his new book had come out a year or nine months before uh, the show came back. Uh, so this was in 2016, and I had a chance to sit down again with him. And so I was—I um, I, mean, I don't know if I have the right words. It uh, was—it uh, was, it was truly—I was—I was overwhelmed and grateful to him for. He got me one ticket. <laughs> he said, "I can only get you one ticket," and I was like, "Fine, that's great." And so yeah, it was—it was—it felt like a culmination in a way of all the work. I wish Greg, you know, had been there to experience it. Because it would have been something we would have had to share together for sure. I, I, so it was me. I was the one. But uh, it felt like a culmination of all the work we put in over the, the years uh, uh, devoted to Twin Peaks to be able to go to the premiere in L.A. with the cast. I mean, I sat right behind Kyle MacLachlan. I got to go to the party afterwards and hang out with Dana Ashbrook and Machin Amick. And, and that was surreal. <laughs> I can't, I, I mean, even now I still can't believe I was there. So uh, one of the highlights certainly of my Twin Peaks life, for sure. I mean, that was an amazing experience. I know you mentioned a couple names with uh, Dana Ashbrook and Machin Amick, but 
Did you uh, get to talk with any of the actors that you've only previously get to talk to on the phone or email? And was their interaction any different when you got to see him again? Many of the actors we actually met at Twin Peaks festivals, you know, over the years. So a, a great many of them I had physically, you know, been face to face with. It was kind of neat to see Kimmy Robertson coming down the stairs at the after party. And she goes, I know you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, that was kind of a nice to be recognized. James Marshall recognized me, which was which was weird. Uh, there were a few of them I reminded. Oh, Grace Zabriskie. Uh, Grace Zabriskie, right, uh, right after the show was over, we went out of the theater. And she was standing out on the sidewalk. And I came up to her and I said, hey, I... Uh, I, I did wrapped in plastic and she said, Oh, I had a stack of those magazines, you know? So that was really kind of nice. She, she wouldn't have known who I was when I said the magazine, she, she, she had them still, she, she kept them. And, uh, there were a few actors like that. I, I got a chance to meet some new actors, some, some from the new show and, uh, some whom I had not, uh, had really had a chance to visit with from the original series. So they really, they kind of, some of them knew what wrapped in plastic was, but, um, I got, I got a chance to chat with them. It was great. It was a lot of fun. This is the last question I have about the season three premiere. Was it different being able to see parts one and two in theaters? Uh, like, did it feel like, uh, maybe fans were missing out, whether it's like the sound or just the feeling of the room compared to if you were to just watch it at home? Well, it's hard for me to, to uh, separate the idea of being at the premiere and literally being around 100 of the cast members uh, while I'm watching it. Yeah, watching it on the big screen, that's the only time I've seen that any of it on the big screen of those first two parts. It was it was like, yeah, it was certainly like going to a movie. It felt, you know, like you were immersed in it. I, I think in today's day and age, I mean, I have a pretty big TV, and so I'd turn out the lights and would watch every episode when it would come on over that summer. It was, it was a pretty good pretty good experience. Um, I think if there's any one episode I would really, really want to see on the big screen to be part eight, I think that would be a really great cinematic experience. And I guess there have been a few, maybe one occasion in New York where they did do a marathon screening of the full 18 hours. I mean, if that ever happened again, I would try to go do that. I guess that answers your question. I do think... Maybe seeing it on a big, big screen or the big, you know, really good sound system is a little more immersive, fewer distractions maybe. So I, I, I would I would try to do that if I could. But I, I don't think, you know, I don't think people missed out on, on anything really, you know, again, it was strange. It was not so strange. It was an unusual audience to be a part of while I was watching that. So that certainly uh, affects my uh, my memory of that experience. I'm thinking of uh, when I saw the 4K restoration of Inland Empire this year, I it didn't even cross my mind how terrifying just the audio was in that movie <laughs> until I saw on the big screen. I thought, oh, wow, I must be missing out on a lot just watching on TV, where I know apart from the New York, uh, you know, the New York 18-hour marathon and then the premiere you went to, that it must be like almost night and day in some cases. Yeah, I, I think the sound, it might be, you know, and Lynch, of course, is, uh, sound is really important to him, and he, he wants the, you know, the sound systems at the theater to be set the right way so that you can really experience it. I can imagine, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I mean, I wrote, a, there's a little footnote in my book, but when I was at the premiere, I was sitting next to Mark Frost's assistant. She really wasn't familiar <laughs> with, I think, with, I mean, obviously, she must have known who David Lynch was, and she was, you know, she it, it part of the industry, so she she had a familiarity. But I don't think she really experienced um, a Lynch film, maybe, because when the experiment breaks out of that uh, glass cage and uh, kills Sam and Tracy, I mean, she just, <laughs> she just was like, Jesus Christ, that's what she, her reaction was so visceral. 
and you could tell that she had been physically moved by it. And I, that was a, that was a fun thing to experience to be next to someone who uh, you, you know, I didn't really know and to kind of vicariously feel her reaction to what was on the screen. And that's not something you can get, at, you know, watching it at home. So that was, that was, a, that was a good thing to, to, to be part of. Moving back to uh, Blue Rose, in issues three and four, you wrote this like great outline for everything season three across all 18 parts. What was that like in terms of the this arduous undertaking? Because from what I understand, that was supposed to be like a one-issue thing, but I think it was after part eight where everyone realized that this had to be a two-parter. Was there anything in terms of like feeling like you had to have certain things down or you had to have it like, you know, conveyed a certain manner within that time frame? Well, there's a couple things about that. First of all, I think we were going to split it up because I think the first, I can't, I can't remember for sure, so give me, I think I had written most of the first half of it while it was airing. And so uh, there was no way to, to get it into print until I could finish the, you know, the rest of, of the season. So I think it was going to be two issues. What I ended up technically being three. And, and what happened was I could not write about part 17 and 18. I, I just could not do it justice uh and so that kind of became an essay that that ended up in a, the issue after i think maybe it's issue six it's kind of a long and technical answer i i think the thing about that project that i did was i was writing a lot of that in real time which means i didn't know what was going to happen um i went back and edited it some because i would know later but a lot of that was sort of speculation will you know what will happen which was interesting because you read it now and you can see how much of it I got wrong. But at the same time, you can sort of experience a little bit of what it was like to be in that process of theorizing. You know, what does it mean? What, where, will it, where will it go? So uh, that was a unique experience to be sort of keeping a journal in a way of the episode, sort of trying try to uh, provide a synopsis of, of these each part. You're sort of out on a ledge, right out on the edge, because you don't know where you're going. And so that was an interesting experience. Um, it has a value in that respect. I don't think it has a value really in the long, long term, um, which what, you know, I had a whole different approach when I did the book because I, I wanted to take it all as a whole and try to write about it with full knowledge of what was coming. Uh, it's a little easier in some ways to get your hands around it, but that, but those issues that you talk about were unique because so much of it was just, you know, you're right out, you know, uh, you didn't know what was coming and try, it was difficult too, because you were, you were trying to provide something of value, but you didn't know, you know, whether or not it would really be a value because it could all change the next episode. So it was, it was an interesting experience. During this time under Blue Rose, uh, at least in the five years so far, do you have any favorite articles that you've written or even some of which you've read that have come your way during that time? Oh, uh, well, I mean, there's too many really to, to say. We've done some great interviews. I was really happy to get into Lindelof, which was great. Uh, I had met him at the premiere, uh, you know, which I was just, you know, it was such a neophyte fan. I'm like, oh, you're Damon Lindelof. <laughs> and, uh, which was great to make that connection because it's harder to get an interview with him. We did that in issue five or six. Uh, Courtney Stallings is a great writer and she really is, you know, to have her involved in that magazine makes it a better work by far. She edits it and, and she writes really well. We've had a few uh, people contribute a few things. They're good essays. I wish I could 
tell you specifically, I, uh, some of the stuff that later issues that I did were coming from the book that I was writing. So um, they're kind of early version, early drafts of chapters of my book, essays from my book. So I'm, I was happy to get those out to some, you know, to, to an audience early. So maybe get a little reaction. It's not really answering your question. I think, you know, I, I think everything that, that, and really, again, so much credit to Scott. Scott's the one who drives, drives it and oftentimes selects pieces that are going to go in and how they're going to go in. Um, he's got a good, you know, approach to all of that. I think it's been a good set of issues. And, and yes, you're right. I've talked about it somewhat in the past tense. I don't mean to. I say that because there's no imminent issue coming. I don't, no, I think we're going to do another one sometime, but it's not being put out regularly like Wrapped in Plastic was. It's one of those things because there is a limited audience for it. So we kind of waiting until the time is right to, to get another one out. And since we've mentioned everything about Blue Rose, uh, we can move on to uh, your new book, Ominous Woosh. I know that this was a long, and arduous process for you to write. What were the most prominent factors that led to it being the four-year process that it ended up being? Well, I mean, I yeah, it's four years, I guess. I, you know, I say that because really it was like three and a half. But what, you know, who's counting? And, and 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 there were gaps of time there where I wasn't working on it. But I, I technically started it in 2018. I guess I didn't didn't know. I, I honestly just didn't know when I would be done. I when I started it, I thought it would take a year or so, which it certainly it, it did not. I mean, I realized it was taking about a month to write each part, like a full month to to write. I mean, I realized that. There's 18 parts, and some of them are going to be harder than others. That's 18 months right there. Plus, I wanted to do these essays. So I figured, well, there's – I don't know how many essays there are going to be, six or ten essays, and there, I think there's eight. So that, how long are they going to take? And so I, at a certain point, I realized, don't give yourself a deadline. I kept hoping, well, maybe I'll get it done by hit now, but I'm not going to hold myself to it. I'm just going to keep going until I feel like – it's good enough, which is why I didn't really have a publication date. It just happened when it happened. I felt at a certain time it was it was ready. At Courtney Stallings, whom I mentioned earlier, had done a copy edit, which was wonderful. My wife did two copy edits on it, and I had done a couple of revisions. This is all boring detail, but I wanted to feel good about it. I wanted to feel comfortable with it. I didn't want to put it out too early, just to put it out. And so I'm not sure I used the word arduous to describe it because – while there were times that it was arduous, it was also there were also times I'd wake up in the morning. I can't wait to get back to it. I can't wait to get back to it. There were times where I'd walk around in dismay <laughs> at at what it was. I didn't know, and I, I still don't really know. I, people people seem to like it, so maybe it is working. But um, it's daunt. It was daunting. Eighteen hours was daunting, and so it, that eighteen hours took four years or so. I, I hope that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> that was enough time. <laughs> I think the reason why I use the term arduous is that I'm thinking of like uh, every time I've done rewatches of season three and sometimes there'll be that one small detail. Like you'll watch this thing that's 18 hours long and one scene just rips a hole into everything. The reason why I'm bringing that up is that I did want to ask if there were chapters that need to be heavily edited or even removed during your analysis and the writing process. Not really. Uh, every chapter was heavily edited and there were chapters that... Well, I'll go back a little bit and then I'll answer your question. So I was, when I was writing it, and I probably said this on other podcasts, but I was writing, I was writing about, I mean, writing literally everything. I, I would describe everything that happened. And so that's probably why I took a month to write each chapter. I mean, every little thing I wrote about. And then of course, when you go back and read it, read that it's, it's boring. I mean, nobody wants to just read, you know, every 
I'm almost down to every edit. I was like, and then, you know, uh, Charlie turns and then Rod returns. I'm like, that doesn't really read well. Uh, but I needed to do that. I needed to get through it that way. I needed to really, really immerse myself in it so that I knew everything that was happening in it. But I had I had taken a lot of notes. I'd watched the show many times. Even before I sat down to really work on the book, I'd already seen probably all 18 parts three times. And then I watched it again and I probably watched it again. And I had notes. I had I had a note, big thick notebook of notes. And I had theories and I was tying it together. And so I felt fairly confident that I knew where I was going. But, you know, actually, now that you mentioned that question, there were times where I would get to something in like a in a later part. And I realized I've got to go back uh, and, and change or add or do something to the earlier parts, because parts one, two, three and four, for the most part, really tie in to 16, 17 and 18. And so you have to keep those in mind. All this these episodes in between, which are important and contribute a lot to the story, but you can kind of forget your way when you get into into those deeper episodes, how much of what happened at the beginning influences what happens at the end. And so, yeah, when uh, Gordon Coles talked to Albert in part 17 about killing two birds with one stone, a lot of that, I'm like, wow, well, I'm not sure what's going on here. And I had to go back and think about how Cole had behaved in part four when he's talking to Albert on the tarmac and, you know, things like that. And then the firemen, for sure, the opening scene, I, I think I said this before too, but I skipped over the opening scene and I didn't feel confident about writing that scene where he says, you know, you are far away. It's in our house now. It wasn't until I got to 17 and 18 that I started to see what I, what for me, what it meant. And so then, yeah, I wrote parts of, first chapters very very late in the process after i had gotten through that i don't know if that answers your question but and it's a long answer so i apologize but but yes you know it, 18 hours is a lot and you do find yourself suddenly realizing well, what i said back in this chapter may not really be right or it may not fit with what i'm seeing now it's tricky tricky work to to deal with in that respect I guess on that note, would you say that out of all of your writing in the last 30 years, do you think this was your most challenging one yet? And if not, what was? Oh, without a doubt. But this was the this was the hardest thing. And I tried to make it, I hope, one of the best things that I've done. I feel like as I wrote it, I got better. I felt like I really felt good at the end. I was like, I mean, I really like part 18, the chapter that I wrote about part 18. I'm like, I feel good. And I go back and I look at like part five and I'm like, oh, this is no good. I really went back and revised after I'd gotten a rhythm going, after I felt confident more about the material and the way I was approaching it. I went back to early chapters and, and, and more heavily revised those chapters than I did perhaps the later chapters. But, you know, personally, I'm really glad I did it. I felt like I was a better writer at the end. Whether it's any good or not, I don't know. But in terms of do I think I'm better at writing at the end than at the beginning, for sure I, I do. That doesn't mean I'm good, but it means I'm better. <laughs> so uh, it, it's clearly far more challenging than, you know, up until then, the challenging thing was Firewalk With Me. And uh, Firewalk Me is a challenging work, but it's two hours long. I didn't really think I'd had a handle on Firewalk With Me until almost 10 years after it had come out. So 10 years uh, to, to think about a film and then start writing about it. 
I didn't have that time for 18 hours. So I wonder, you know, if 10 years from now, I'll think differently about the return. But anyway, long answer to say to you, I do think it was the most challenging thing I've ever written. How did it feel once you publish it? Because I think with Amazon, you just like effectively click a button and it's available. Did it have this like almost like a weight off your shoulders? Did you kind of miss it? Was there any certain feelings you've had that moment or the subsequent days? Yeah, there's a lot of weird things that go on. First of all, while it's true, you do just push a button and it, and then it's out there in the world. Before that, you, you do have the opportunity to get proof copies and you can re you see the book. I've got a proof copy floating around here somewhere. But anyway, um, you basically can see what it's going to look like. So there you, you know, your confidence is a little higher and this is going to this is going to turn out the way I want it to. And you have opportunities, which I did, to get additional proofs because I made changes to it. But yeah, at a certain point, you push a button and you're like, I'm done. I, or I'm as done as I can be, or I can't do any more. I'm just going to make it worse if I continue. And, and then it, it, it goes live and, and it's on the website and people can order it. And lots of weird feelings go through your mind at that point. It, for sure, what you say is true. I, I did miss it. I, I felt kind of depressed a little bit. I mean, you know, depressed, uh, you, you know, what am I doing now? <laughs> Promoting it, which was fun and is fun now it, it, you to talk about it. I, I, I love to be able to, to have opportunities like I am right now chatting about it. Uh, so it's still kind of alive with me, the book. But yeah, like, like I said earlier, I was getting up every single day and I was writing. I was sitting there and I, I'd write and I'd think and write and think and then that, that's gone. I could do other things, which is good, because there were a lot of things I postponed. But yeah, it's, it's a strange feeling. It, it's it's gone. So I know you said that uh, Blue Rose, that there isn't anything firmly lined up as of now. But did you have any projects, uh, either whether it's Lynch, Twin Peaks or otherwise that you've had, like, you know, coming 2023? Well, there is something that's it's got going. I don't think I can really say what it is. He hasn't announced it, but there is going to be something um, maybe 2024. I haven't done anything on it yet, so uh, he'll announce it. So I've got some writing to do about Lynch's work, so put it that way. There is a book coming out that I wrote the introduction for. I think it's called David Lynch in the American West. I wrote the introduction for that well, like almost two years ago. That's coming. You can look that up on Amazon. That's a good book of essays about sort of Western themes. And I don't mean like the traditional, you know, cowboys uh, and Indians kind of Western, but Western um, in terms of the American West. I think that's what the book is called. David Lynch in the American West. The idea of the landscape of the West and the um, philosophy of the West. That's a good book. I just wrote the introduction to that. And then, yeah, I want to get back to writing. I don't know if I'll when I'll get to it, I do want to do something on Mulholland Drive. I think I've got something. I, I feel pretty good about something different that maybe hasn't been put out there yet on Mulholland Drive. And then maybe someday, so nothing in 2023, really. I may start I may start writing the Mulholland Drive thing in 23, but maybe someday come back to Twin Peaks. I still think there's some essays I'd like to write, but those, I, I don't know when I would do that. I think that sums it up, but um, were there any final thoughts on like your 30 years of writing for Twin Peaks? Well, I mean, it's been a great experience. I, uh, I really, as I said earlier, I feel very, very lucky. You know, Twin Peaks came on and it was a show unlike any other. If you had been watching TV in the 80s and then this show comes on and you realize, whoa, TV has reached a new level. It certainly changed my life, without a doubt. I went back to school and got my master's degree in television and studied narrative theory. I've had an opportunity to do some incredible things, uh, write and, and contribute to some things. So I hope it's not over. I mean, it's been 30 years. Let's hope that there's a number of years to come where I, you know, I can keep 
being a part of it because um as you know i mean for sure the fans are great the work is so is so compelling and interesting i don't think we're ever really done with it i don't think we're ever done with it. i think we as you say we find new things in it but it's living inside us all the time um even when we're not writing or you know doing a podcast it, I, I think scott ryan said you know twin peaks happens when you're not watching it which is a great quote so yeah um i'm very lucky i'm very happy and hopefully i've got more to do we'll see one of the last questions is uh you know where can people find you on social media anything you want to plug relating to that yeah i'm on twitter still we'll see how long that lasts depending on how things go but um at thorn whip t-h-o-r-n-e-w-i-p that's really the only place on social media it's at the back if you need to see it it's at the, i have it in the back of the book so but you know i'm, I'm popping up on on podcasts and, and and time to time i'm sure i'll you know eventually be on um Twin Peaks Unwrapped again someday. Uh, so and, and so the and so the books, both my books, the essential wrapped in plastic, which is the first book, the compilation of the stuff we did in wrapped in plastic, and then the new book, Ominous Whoosh, are both available on Amazon. You can go there and order. You can order Kindle copies. You can order physical copies. In the case of Ominous Whoosh, you can actually order a hard copy, which I'm, I'm pretty happy about. That came out really nice. It's, it's expensive, but. I did it because I wanted to have a hard copy. And uh, if you, you know, if you want to order it through your local bookstore, I, I believe you can go in and they can they can order it themselves. And and you know, it takes a little longer, but you can also do it that way. The fastest way is Amazon, but if you rather do it another way, those options are there too. Well, I just want to say thank you for coming on. It was an honor for you to take the time to discuss your career through Twin Peaks. Yeah, no, I'm so happy to do it. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you. And, you know, you and I have, uh, have met in person. I believe it was at Fayetteville, right? At the, or, yeah, I remember that. And, and that was that was fun. I hope that, you know, there'll be more opportunities to, to physically, you know, be in the same room with some, some fans again because, uh, well, the pandemic came. And then, you know, I know there's been a few things recently, but I miss being able to, you know, talk to people in person. And hopefully that'll, you know, that'll happen again. I'll be at Steeplejack next year uh, for February 24th in uh, Snoqualmie. So, um, you know, hopefully you'll be there and anyone who's listening, I'll be there at that time. Yes, I know about that. And I am looking very, very seriously at that. I, I don't know. I don't have plans yet, but I really would like to be there. So hopefully I will be there, too. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Time's running out. I better make some plans pretty soon because that's coming up soon. But yeah, no, thank you again. And um, yeah, hope to see you in 2023. Yes, yes. Same here. Same here. Thanks a lot. Together